Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Legal Wolf podcast highlighting the good work of medical professionals within the mental health sector. Today I'm delighted to be joined by... Well, welcome to the show, Sarah. Um, my first question would be just for the listeners, just to outline your background and your route into social work and specifically mental health? Okay, um, so I did a direct access course at 24 because I decided I wanted to do some sort of caring profession that was in um, psychology and sociology. Yeah. And then I did a BA at Bournemouth University, BA in social work. Um, and my placements were in, I did a, an adults and a children's uh, placement, which is really good. Um, and a, around that time, I was also working as a support worker um, in a direct access hostel, which was really fun. Uh, and also supported living placement for adults with um, severe and enduring mental illness. And also for young people. So that was quite a mix. And that gave me a really good grounding for working in mental health, really, you know, having that kind of experience. Um, so that's that's that and the um, degree is obviously three years you can also do a master's if you've already got a degree and that's two years and then my background is um a qualified as a learning disability social worker initially that was my first post um so that was um adults from 18 and up really with severe learning disabilities and i worked with psychiatrists psychologists um learning disability nurses social workers and that was that was great being part of that team so you get you really get to get a sense of a whole person because you're looking at that person from lots of different professions yes that was really good um and then i worked as a drug and alcohol social worker and a statutory team and that was more kind of a therapeutic role it was about Mm -hmm. motivational interviewing and um trying to support people through change um i worked with a lot drug using parents so it's about trying to reduce the impact of people's drug use on their parenting um and then i uh, uh, got to be mental health and that was uh, for adults with severe and enduring mental illness yeah. and that was from 18 to to end of life so i work with people with dementia kind of 17 and 18 year olds just transitioning into adult services um and most of that work was dementia that was a big part of it um people with schizophrenia who were experiencing the sort of more negative symptoms so the, um what i mean by that is when people are younger they tend to have more psychotic relapses yeah. and as they get older some people have chronic psychosis but the other things um start to take over so kind of social withdrawal um poor motivation to complete tasks concentration and that affects every you know those people's day-to-day lives um and then also people with personality disorder that was quite a big part of that job um so sort of trying to support people with emotional dysregulation um and trying to support them with relationships and and that kind of stuff and keep people out of hospital yeah um so i was there for three years and i've i'm now a psychiatric social worker as well as an independent social worker i'm doing the two so i work in i've got it's a dual post, so I work on a rehab ward, which is quite a slow transition out of hospital for people who have got really complex needs, and it tends to be about um, treatment-resistant schizophrenia, so lots of breakthrough yeah. symptoms, 
um, people with bipolar disorder. There's quite a lot of safeguarding issues often. And then the other job, the other part of the job is the psychiatric intensive care unit. Um, and that's working with people who are quite a severe risk to other people or sometimes from other people if they're particularly vulnerable. So that work tends to be more um, immediately um, yeah, it's kind of more immediate. It's about enriching people's lives when they're on the ward and they can't yes. they can't leave, opening bank accounts, kind of very short term goals. Yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, I do independent work as well. So quite a quite a mix. Yeah, and it sounds like you've had a lot of different experiences over the years, which I imagine has been very helpful in terms of dealing with various different people from people with learning disabilities to schizophrenia to personality disorder um in terms of the complexities of being a mental health social worker what are the complexities of the of the job what does the job specifically entail and particularly with the independent social worker just for the listeners of the podcast to explain what an independent social worker is and how they would get involved with um, mental health cases? Um, so, the, so, to sort of deal with the two, um, the kind of complexities around working in mental health are often people are quite difficult to engage, um, so you've got to be quite creative about um, engaging with people depending on where they are in their journey, um, and, and some people are quite paranoid about your involvement. Some people um, are just, they just can't have, hold conversations because they're so poorly. People are often quite mistrustful. So that's a big part of um, working in mental health, I think. Um, and then it's about kind of positive risk-taking and, and working out where a person is able to be responsible for their behaviour and where services need to be a bit more involved in reducing risks and things like that. Um, and that often feeds into independent um, work. Um, and it, for people with mental health problems, people experience all the same kind of things that we do. So, for example, yeah. coronavirus at the moment is having a massive impact on everybody. Yes. But there's kind of additional issues like, you know, homelessness um, or insecure housing or um, really severe social isolation, mm-hmm. um, dual diagnosis, you know, um, having drug and alcohol problems. Um, lots of trauma people often have experienced a lot of trauma um so it's working kind of around those issues and trying to reduce the impact those things have on people um and in terms of independent work there's kind of i've I've only just started doing independent work and i'm amazed um how much there is out there and what variety there is um so my one of my favorite things to do is um, to write social circumstances reports. So if a person has appealed their section, which they have a right to do under the Mental Health Act, um, a either a care coordinator or a social worker will write a social circumstances report. And I love doing that because it looks at the person as a whole and it looks about their, you know, where, how they've got to this point, any risks that are presenting, and really it's all aimed at can, can this person either be an informal patient or could they leave hospital um, and, and be kind of safely cared for in the community. Yeah. Um, and an independent social worker may get involved if... I'm thinking of a particular example of a lady who was has a uh, emotionally unstable personality disorder, really severe self-harm, um, and was at really high risk of accidental death. So she wasn't necessarily suicidal, 
but when she was very upset and very distressed, she would do things that put her life at really serious risk. Um, and an independent social worker was appointed because it became really difficult to unpick whether she was better off in hospital or not, essentially, because we know there's lots of evidence that long admissions for people with that diagnosis isn't helpful. But when somebody is constantly, really severely hurting themselves, you know, taking overdoses Mm -hmm. or cutting or headbanging or absconding, you know, um, it becomes very difficult to discharge a person um, because you kind of know that, you know, worry about people. Um, and, And so the independent social worker the role of their, them there is to look at things objectively um, because we can't help but get involved emotionally with people and we care about them and sometimes it's right on the wire whether they should be discharged or not um, and so an independent view is really helpful in those cases. Yeah I know I have found when I've instructed an independent in some of my cases that they kind of push your case in a way that you want it to go and when you disclose that report to a judge it kind of nudges not only the judge but the tribunal panel to look at the bigger picture so for instance i recently instructed an independent social worker to find some supported accommodation um for one of my clients who was in hospital for the best part of 12 months um and we instructed this independent and then they found a place and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere, um, social services started to get plans in place for funding. The tribunal were, were more interested in the idea of discharge because a place had been found. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I do feel the role of independence, they can have a big part to play in certain cases. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think often the role of a social worker in, in mental health and in other areas as well is um health authority has got this huge influence over people's lives and this massive piece of legislation that yeah. you know really deprive people of their liberties in, in the most <clears throat> severe way really because of course yeah. when you're detained you can be detained indefinitely it's not even like a prison sentence where there's a, an amount of time yeah um and i and i suppose i think of it like social worker the social worker's role then is to be the kind of checks and balances of the power dynamic between health and the person um I really like doing that. It's really, it's really rewarding part of it. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So there's, there's lots of other things um, that I've been doing. I've been working with um, a mum recently whose son has got um, ASD, yeah. uh, which comes under the mental health um, team generally. Um, he's also got a learning disability, and his placement. He's just been told he's got to leave. Um, it's been closed down, and she just wanted a bit of advice because what the local authority was suggesting she wasn't happy with. He's 17, so the the legal framework becomes quite muddy for, for people in 16 and 17-year-olds. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't a massive piece of work. I had a conversation with her. Um, she emailed me a kind of a summary of him, and then I gave her back a bit of um, the kind of the legal context to, mm-hmm. to help um, advocate for her son with the local authority yeah. um, and just the kind of options that might be available for somebody and just again in a more independent way without thinking about budgets and what's available and what's not available and just this is this person this is what they need this is what would be good for them so that's lovely it's really nice to be able to look at things in just in an independent way really yeah and in terms of covid obviously with all the 
lockdowns, restrictions, obviously the updated tiers. Do you feel that coronavirus, once we eventually get through it, that there will be a second pandemic, if you like, in terms of mental health? Yeah, I think the the impact that coronavirus has had on all of us is, is huge, isn't it? And I yeah. think you know, the most resilient of us have had periods in the last nine months where we've all struggled. Yeah. Um, I think what we saw is we, we weren't aware of people um, as, as early because they were at home, they were probably quite isolated anyway, yeah. but they weren't even being seen by their neighbours or their doctors or in the shops. So things were quite quiet, and then there was just this wave of really poorly people. And so on the wards, we had really busy, bustling wards yeah. of people who were very poorly, yeah. um, quite sort of, yeah, quite lively. Um, and it's just because those people just weren't picked up earlier. You know, services aren't seeing people directly, so you, you just can't always get a sense of a person when you're on the phone or like this when you're, you know, when you're talking to somebody on a laptop. Um, yeah, yeah and, I, and I think, you know, People have lost their jobs. They've not been allowed to see their families. Um, and all of those social stresses, if you have an existing mental health problem, it has a huge impact. And it, it, yeah, I mean, it has been quite apparent. And it also feeds into people's paranoia about, um, you know, government conspiracies and germs and yeah. being monitored and watched. And, all, you know, if you've got those pre-existing um, beliefs because of your mental health anyway, coronavirus is just like a breeding ground, really, for that. Um, and I, yeah, and I think when we come out of this, we're going to see people who probably otherwise would have maintained wellness, yeah. you know, quite probably quite impacted quite poorly. Yeah, and has COVID affected the way that you work on a day to day basis? Um, yeah, when I was in my last post, I worked from home for the whole of lockdown okay. and I only did a few visits and that was really if you were just weighing up the risk of transmitting that illness to the person against, yeah. um, you know, the risk that they were posing to themselves or other people. Um, if they were at risk of hospital admission, that's kind of seen as, you know, you want to keep people out of hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, very different way of working. Um, obviously, with independent work, we're not seeing people face-to-face -face as much again. It tends mm -hmm. to be stuff like this. Um which can be a bit of a challenge for some people, yeah. um, particularly if they're very unwell, because you know you're just a face on a screen. It's you know can be really difficult for people, so yeah. you have to work a bit harder at building relationships. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's very different. And um, where I live, we've just gone into tier four, um, so that's going to have a pretty big impact on people that were already struggling. Um, in my day job at the moment, I work on a ward, so I'm lucky enough to be able to go in and see people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the independent work is kind of a bit of both. So yeah. Yeah, I mean we've we've just moved into tier four, um, and I think our our work just has been in front of a screen since middle of March. Mm. Everything goes online. You speak to clients over the phone, so it makes life more difficult to build a rapport because the first time you see them is at the tribunal hearing. Mm. Now, but. Um, the final question I have is, what advice would you give to someone who wants to specialise in mental health, social work in particular, and what do you feel are the key qualities in being a social worker? Um, if you are looking to get into mental health, I suppose, before qualifying or while you're studying, just 
you know anything that's related to mental health so mental health advocacy support work yeah. you know volunteering working as a carer you know for older people anything really where you get to kind of get stuck in with a person at a point where they really need support and then you, you can kind of build those skills in communication and empathy and working with other people um so that that i think is a really good way of getting in because it's essentially um even when we're not seeing people face to face it's still very much about relationships um yeah so that would be my advice and in terms of the qualities of an in, of a mental health social worker um i think you've got to have a pretty thick skin <laughs> i don't know if you found that yeah I, i've been called some pretty exciting names um, <laughs> over the years um and you know it's just about putting that behavior in context really and you know yeah. often people don't well they do mean it but they you know they're, they're not necessarily responsible for that at the time yes um you've got to be able to challenge um psychiatrists and other social workers and hospital wards um sometimes you've really got to put your head above the parapet and advocate for somebody and yeah. you know and that's not always easy so i think you've got to be quite assertive um and, and just really good at communicating generally so you know you might be at a mental health tribunal which is quite a formal process yeah um, it's essentially a small court isn't it mm. so that's one one aspect of it and then you might be working with a person with dementia who I worked with one person who he thought we were on a building site and he kept telling me off for almost walking in holes and I had to walk around wheelbarrows that weren't there and um, so you're working you know, with such a spectrum of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was brilliant. He was one of the best people I've worked with, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Well, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you very much. No problem. Um, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. It's been lovely. It's been really nice to talk to you and see you face-to-face as well. Yes, yes. Lovely. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And that concludes this episode. Hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for future episodes to be announced on the Legal Wolf LinkedIn page. Thank you.